Thank you for listening to the Rivers Church podcast with Pastor Andre and the Rivers team. Be sure to subscribe for a weekly dose of encouragement and inspiration to help your daily life. We pray that this message will help in whatever season of life you might be in. How to know God's will for your life, a very important topic, and it's probably one of the most asked questions of pastors by church people. How do I know when God is in something? How do I know His will for my life? And it can seem somewhat confusing, but I want to tell you today, God's will for your life is very simple, and the principles are very clear in Scripture. I think a lot of us feel like Peter in Matthew chapter 14, where Jesus is walking on the water, and those famous words of Peter are to Jesus, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come. We want to know in the dark times, in the challenging times, in the financial times, when we're about to get married, when we're about to buy a car, Lord, if it's you, give me a sign. And we want to know God's will, and it can be extremely frustrating. Some people are even afraid of God's will. They say, don't tell me about God's will, because I know what God's will's like. He'll tell me to sell a business, put me, make me a missionary in China, <laughs> or you'll, marry, you'll tell me to marry an ugly woman, and, and I'm not up to that, I'm looking for a beauty. And we think God's will is sometimes suffering, and it sometimes could be, but we're afraid of it rather than embrace it. But God's will is not confusing. Many people say this, God told me to. Yet the outcome of their life is very clear that God didn't tell them to. And often it's their emotions, their, 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 their sensitivities, their, their inclinations, rather than God's will. And I think a lot of the time we interpret Scripture incorrectly. So I want to warn you up front. I might disappoint you today, but I do believe for the majority of people, there'll be clarity today and there won't be confusion. So let's look at it under three main sections. And uh, the first thing is this. God doesn't hide His will from us. God's will is not something you have to figure out by being super sensitive or praying for days on end. God doesn't hide his will. When he wants something done, he'll tell you. And I'll give you a reference from, from, for this, because God's will is not a mystery. Genesis 18 and verse 17, then the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. See, God will not hide his will from you, so you mustn't go around thinking that like, you know, you know, if the clouds come out now, then, you know, God is saying, God is not interested in the frivolous. He's got a plan. He had a plan for Abraham that involved nations. That's why I told him, God's not with you when you're buying shoes. Lord, the high or the medium hill? Lord, the black bag or the white bag? No, God's not into that. He'll tell you his will when there are nations and big issues involved. And you needn't worry about it. He'll reveal himself to you. The late George Truett, he was a wonderful man of God, pastor in Dallas for over 50 years. He says, to know the will of God is the greatest knowledge. To do the will of God is the greatest achievement. And we get confused about the will of God. But Paul prayed for the church in Colossae. He prayed for God's will over them. He wasn't praying, Lord, show them what to do. He was praying, Lord, show them how to live. And you'll notice in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 9, he says, we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will. This doesn't mean guidance, this means behavior. And he says here, and all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, 
bearing fruit in every good work. Can you see it's about your life and your behavior, not where you should go and what you should buy. It's the general desire of God, the principles of God. In John chapter 7, verse 17, Jesus famously says this, anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. In other words, when you, when you choose to serve and to follow God and to do what his word says, then you'll, become a, you'll discover that Jesus is the son of God and he is the true Messiah. You won't discover that unless you really want to serve God fully and you serve God fully from his word. So don't confuse the phrase, the will of God. Remember when Jesus taught us the Lord's Prayer, he said, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's not, that's not some kind of a small guidance thing. It's a principle of how we should live. E.C. Baird was a famous uh, man of God during the 1800s. He said, you ask, what is the will of God? Well, here's the answer true. The nearest thing that should be done that he can do through you. Sometimes we're praying, Lord, show me, show me. No, if there's someone standing in front of you at the supermarket and they're buying a loaf of bread and they look like they're in rags and you can see they're counting their pennies and here you come with all your steaks and your chocolates and your lint. I think the nearest thing you could do is just, hey, hey, just give me that bread. Here. Just... They need a voice from the Lord. It's the nearest thing to do. The good things of God. So God won't hide his will from you. He'll make it plain to you. Now, number two here, there are three kinds of will of God. Are you with me? Three kinds. And they're very important to understand in their three categories. Firstly, and I've touched on already, is the moral will of God. The first one is the moral will of God. It is what we call behavioral, not directional. It's God's general nature and character. It's what he wants us to obey. Numerous verses in the Bible from beginning to end refer to how we should live. 1 Thessalonians, the Bible says that you, you should live a holy and pure life. The marriage bed should not be defiled, for this is the will of God. In other words, the general moral desire of God. How, and, and you're not surprised me. Most people are waiting for a voice from God, but they don't know the basic moral guidance of God. Where does it say uh, um, uh, the Lord showed me. No, no, no. Get into the Bible, you'll discover the moral will of God. Uh, 1 Thessalonians, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God. See, it's not guidance. It's the general desire of God, his heart, and what he wants us to do. For instance, for marriage, for sex, for money, for our relationships, for church membership. It's the moral will of God for reaching the lost, for serving as a volunteer. Romans 12 and verse 1 teaches us this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Then he says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In other words, don't live for your flesh. Live for the purposes of God. Don't just live for your desires. Live according to the Spirit and have your mind changed. Then he says, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Christians live and think differently, and we live according to God's moral will, not according to our sinful will. I, I must say, I struggle with this. I struggle as to why people are so confused about what God wants and doesn't want. I think it's because they don't read the Bible. We're looking for some special revelation where we haven't first read the moral will of God. You will not get guidance unless you know what you're supposed to do and how you're supposed to behave. 
1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 1, and this is important for us because we don't read enough scripture. He says, therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourself with the same attitude because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. In other words, it's tough to serve God. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. Then he says, for you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. We've been taught in our world to embrace everything that is totally contrary to the church, and it's called tolerance. No, it's called ignorance. No, the Bible tells us that we live and we think differently because we do the will of God, not the will of people. We do the will of God, not the will of our bodies. The will of God, not the will of our impulses. We don't do what feels good. That's why sometimes you suffer, because you have to go against the grain. The moral will of God, the supreme living God wants certain things from us, and we need to line ourselves up with it. Paul, in writing to the uh, in speaking to the elders, rather, in Acts chapter 20, the church at Ephesus, he's about to leave them, and he says, therefore, I declare to you today that I'm innocent of the blood of any of you, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you, watch this, the whole will of God. In other words, I didn't preach trendy topics while I was in your church. I didn't use, um, I didn't attach myself to a wire as a pastor and get hoisted into the roof and do somersaults and then come down. I didn't push people over and treat and, and teach all little, little gimmicky things. I taught you what God wants from you. Not one doctrine to the exclusion of others. Today we don't know what the moral will of God is because certain churches are only teaching one thing. God loves you, God loves you, God loves you. No matter what you do, He loves you, He loves you. That is the whole moral will of God, the whole counsel of God. I'm making a point here and I'm laboring it, but it's very important because we don't read enough scripture. Ephesians 6, as slaves of Christ, do the will of God with all your heart. What does that mean? He explains, work with enthusiasm as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. You want to know what the will of God is for your life? Go to work and really work. Don't go to work and chat. Now, you can chat in between. I'm so tired of going to restaurants and, uh, excuse me, when you finish chatting with one another, could I have another cool drink or can I have some water? Because people have lost sight. But Christians, we need to know, we mustn't be looking for, Lord, what's your will? Now, when I go to work, I give my best. That's the will of God. Give my all. Give my energy. Serve the Lord. 1 Peter chapter 2. It is God's will that your, that your honorable lives should silence those ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you. We should live above reproach. That's God's will. Here's one more. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 17. Are you getting the point? The moral will of God. Therefore, do not be foolish, because when you don't know God's moral will, you are foolish. But understand what the Lord's will is. Now he explains it. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. By the way, does anyone know what debauchery means? Debauchery? You don't go to someone's home and then when you're driving home in the car, what a debaucherous place. We don't even know what these things mean. That's why we do them. Debauchery means to be so loose and so open to partying and giving yourself to desires. I want to ask you, next time you go to a party and you're a Christian, you should feel uncomfortable. You shouldn't have your martini and <laughs> I'm with them and I'm connecting. No. What's the moral will of God? It's not boring. It's just not that. 
moving right along. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another, the psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. See, the, will of, the moral will of God is what God desires, what He wants for your life, and it's His righteous decrees. Are you with me? Get that right first before you want to hear a voice from the Lord. Number two, or point B here, directional. It's moral, then it's directional. God will guide us specifically, but not as frequently as you think, and you don't just jump on it and act on it. You remember Acts chapter 21? Agabus the prophet came to Paul, and he put a belt around his, his hands, and he said, thus says the Holy Spirit, are they going to do to this man uh, when you get to Jerusalem? And Paul takes the belt off, and he says, I'm ready to suffer and die. Doesn't mean because you get a word, you need to act on it. You need to know God's will for your life, not have other people tell you what it is. Too many people go to big meetings, and then they get prophesied over, and they want their whole lives to steer. Now, what's God saying to you first? Also, God's directional will unfolds with obedience. Now listen, first obedience to the moral will, then obedience to the directional will. Give an example of this is when the angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, and I'll explain a little bit of this in a moment. Now the angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out. God didn't explain anything to him. He started out. And on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch. Can you see he first obeyed the little he was told? Then God told him more. And then he went to the chariot. The guy was reading the book of Isaiah. He explained to him what the book of Isaiah meant. And the man got saved and got baptized. It's the same when the 10 lepers. Jesus said to the 10 lepers, go show yourself to the priest. The Bible says, as they went, they were healed. Jesus said uh, to the disciples, take the five loaves and the two fish and uh, distribute them to the people. As they handed it out, it multiplied. You've first got to obey the moral will of God. Then the small revelation he gives you I think you should join as a member at Rivers Church. Oh, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> too busy on a Saturday morning. Too busy, on, too busy on a Sunday morning. Don't you know we go to Tasha's? <laughs> what are this orange juice with, with um, champagne in it? What's it called? <laughs> Can have my mimosas on Sunday morning? <laughs> no, no, you first obey the... Then God will give you... You see, we want, we want the voice... We want God to direct us to the shares and to the, to the, the forex and all the stuff. What's it called? The Bitcoin. Oh, God, show me. Uh, join Rivers Church. Moral, then directional. Are you with me? See, Pastor Greg, Greg Laurie wrote a book about guidance. He said, the start with obeying what God's word clearly teaches He's clearly taught in God, sorry, start with obeying what God's word clearly teaches and he's clearly taught in God's word. Why shouldn't he tell you more, sorry, yeah, why shouldn't he tell you more when you won't even pay attention to what he has already told you? See, we want this amazing revelation, but we, we're not listening to currently. Now, let me just give a bit of warning here and I'll come to this. I want to give you some practical things just now, so I hope I can make it in the time. But I want to say this. Directional guidance is not mentioned in the New Testament as normative. There are not many texts that refer to personal guidance in the New Testament, and I'll answer your questions that you've already got in your head. So, for instance, you're already saying, Ooh, my sheep hear my voice. It's got nothing to do with guidance personally. It's got everything to do with salvation. 
Jesus talks about himself as being the good shepherd that leads his sheep into eternal life. And they know his voice and they know his truth. And then he talks about the wolf who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And the one who leads you into eternal death. It's not talking about personal guidance. It's not saying, buy the, buy the white bread, not the, not the brown bread. <laughs> buy the black shoes, not the white ones. You'll look better in them, darling. No, it's not talking about that. And we turn it into something it's not. And you know what it does? It confuses us instead of frees us. Because instead of using our mature brains, we rely on whims and things that are not of God, and we end up confused. Let me, let me ask you this question this morning, and this is a challenging question. If we can hear from God so much, and so many people claim to tell you that God speaks to them, how come no one predicted the pandemic? How come no great prophet or man of God that hears from the Lord all the time predicted the pandemic? Because actually, it's not often that God speaks in that way unless he wants to reveal him. And God won't hide from us. Are you with me? I told you, I, I did warn you that I would disappoint you today. Hmm? You see, we read verses like this, Psalm 32. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Do not be like the horse or the mule which have no understanding but must be controlled by bit and bridle or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts him. Just leave this verse up for a moment. I want you to see here this. God's not saying he's going to guide us in every little decision we make and where you should work and what car you should buy and whether you should put a pool in or you shouldn't and whether you should buy a new lounge suite or not. This is saying the general will of God is different to the wicked. I'll guide you from my word as to how to live right. Don't take scripture out of context. Who is speaking to who about what? When Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, he's talking about him being the shepherd and salvation and the flock being the church. Not do this, don't do that, go here, don't go there. Now, does the Spirit of God lead us? Yes. Glad you asked. I'm coming there. Don't be so impatient. <laughs> Number three. Are you being helped this morning? The third one is the sovereign will of God. We have the moral. We have the directional or the directive, if you like, and then we have the sovereign will of God. God will do what he will do when he wants to do it, even though sometimes it's different to what his word says. Stay with me here. So let me give you an example. How many of God wants to heal? He wants to bless. He wants to restore. He wants you to be the head and not the tail, above and not beneath. God wants to prosper you. He wants to give you length of days. Can you say amen? amen. Well, what happened to Jesus on the cross? Got none of those things. Was it the will of God? Yes, it was the sovereign will of God. Are you with me? Now, the sovereign will of God is what God will do when he wants to because he's got a much bigger purpose than little things like which color shoes to buy. Are you with me? See, in Luke chapter 22 and verse 42, Jesus prayed in the garden, not my will, but your will be done. In fact, in Acts chapter 2, we read this. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. The plan and purpose, the sovereign will of God, Acts chapter 4. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. But then it says this, they did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. God's sovereign, God is sovereign and will do what he wants to do. And he will tell us if he wants to, and sometimes he won't. 
So God's moral will, God's directive will, or directional will, then God's sovereign will are the three kinds of will. Paul was called by the sovereign will of God. Uh, one, one, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 1, and there's also Ephesians 1 and Colossians 1. It says, Paul, an apostle of, of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. Paul was called by God after 400 years of silence. Uh, God suddenly reaches out. Jesus comes. Paul is called by God. He didn't have a choice in it. It was the sovereign will of God. Do you know that if you're going to be a missionary to China, there's not much you can do about it. God will put his hand on you in such a way that you can't avoid it and will reveal himself to you in such a way that you know it's him. We don't have to be like, should I? Shouldn't I? It's pretty clear. I hope, I hope this is helping you in some way. Now, I've got to move on faster here. Nine factors in establishing personal guidance from God. Do you think we can do this in the time allotted? What factors do you need to know God's will? Number one, and we've looked at it already, but just to recap, the word. You want to know God's guidance? The word is the number one. God's basic instructions, his values, his commands, his ordinances, his overall will, his desire to bless you, for you to be in fellowship in a church, for you to be um, in, a, in, in, in heterosexual relationships. All these things are the basic will of God, very clear in the Bible. Don't get upset with me. Just go and find out. If you want to know what God wants for your life, read the word. And it will tell you. Billy Graham says, if you're ignorant of God's word, you'll always be ignorant of God's will. Sometimes we don't listen to what the written word says, but we want some special revelation from God. It doesn't work like that. Then we end up in confusion, and we're upset. Psalm 119, your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. The word guides us clearly. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1, let me remind you what it says. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Jesus is the word. And when you want to know what Jesus thinks, you read the word. And then the Holy Spirit helps you discover what Jesus thinks as you read the word. Amen. So you want guidance? Number one, the word of God. Number two, circumstances can guide you to the will of God. And you know, it's clear that Jonah in the storm was not in God's will. But in Acts chapter 27, it's very clear that Paul in the storm was in God's will. So circumstances have a way, but they can be confusing. Acts 18, Paul speaking to the church, but as he left Ephesus, he promised, I will come back if it's God's will. Then he set sail from Ephesus. Ephesus. Do you notice that this is Acts chapter 18? Well, do you read in Acts chapter 19 and verse 1 that he found a way to make it back? Very soon afterwards, he kept leaving things in God's hand because he wasn't sure how God was going to direct him, but he knew he was called to speak to the church. And so he kind of left himself a gap in case he didn't come back and they didn't get upset with him. But Paul wasn't like, I don't know what he's saying. Ooh, just wait, quiet, shh. It wasn't weird. Don't be a weird Christian. There are too many already. It's simple. It's clear. Go to the word. Then go to circumstances. Don't look at circumstances first. Are you with me? You know, often the circumstances will unfold God's will to you. A Spanish man by the name of Ignatius Loyola was a, was a brilliant knight, and they say he was very good looking, and the ladies were very attracted to him, and he fought gallantly. In, in battles, I know some of you don't think he's good looking, but that's what they say about him. On the 20th of May in 1521 at the Battle of Pamplona, 
he, he was uh, fired upon and a cannonball hit his leg and basically shattered it and they didn't think he would survive. They managed to take him home to his father's castle and he had op after op on the leg, you know, how it was in those days, in the 1500s. And finally, he, he recovered and his one leg was shorter than the other. And as he lay in bed and as he hobbled around the castle, he became completely discouraged. He was a man of God. He was, a, he was part of the Catholic Church and wanted to serve the Lord as a knight, defending the Lord's people and so on. And uh, he, he found there were just two books in the castle. One was about the great exploits of great knights. And down when he read it, he was inspired, but then when he put it down, he felt empty. And one was about the great saints that had gone before. He found when he read that, he was inspired, but afterwards, he wasn't empty. He felt he wanted to follow them. And uh, gradually, after a while, he began to sense that he wanted to start a group of people called like, like knights, but they wouldn't kill people with a sword. They would go out and they would conquer and they would preach the gospel. So he, Ignatius Loyola, founded what we know today as the Jesuits. There's 16,000 of them still in existence as priests spreading the gospel. The circumstances directed him to do that in his life. But he didn't try and make the circumstances fit. It was just what happened. Are you with me? Be careful you don't make circumstances fit. Number three, the inward witness of the Spirit. Is this helping anyone today? See, the Spirit will confirm things in you. John 16. But notice what Jesus says. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into what? All the truth. He will glorify who? Me. Because it is from me that you will, he will receive what he will make known to you. See, the guidance here is not some personal little notion. Ooh, I can feel the wind. No, no, no. This is about leading you into what Jesus said so that you get a revelation of it. Because Jesus is only a little bit of time on the earth, three years, but the Holy Spirit is here now to, to reveal to us all God's will and all of Jesus' will. Are you with me? Don't confuse things because you'll end up confused. And my goal is today is not to remove from you the glamour of Christianity, but to cause you to be mature and not confused. The famous Bible teacher, F.B. Mayer, was traveling one day on a ship and uh, as they neared the harbor, it was a stormy night. It was quite dark and windy and, and rainy and they couldn't see. And he said to the captain, as he stood with the captain on the bridge, he said, how do you know how to go in? Because, gee, when to sail and how fast to go and how do you know? Because you can't see anything. And the captain looked back at him and he said, uh, it's an art. And he said, well, what do you mean it's an art? And he said, do you see those three red lights on the shore? When they're all in a straight line, then I go straight in. And F.B. Mayer later wrote, he said, when we want to know God's will, there are three things which always concur. The inward impulse, the word of God, and the trend of circumstances. Never act until these three things agree. So the word first, then circumstances, then the inward witness of the spirit. Number four, this will surprise you, common sense, which ain't so common. You see, if there's no law or command in Scripture, then it's your preference. Are you with me? Should I buy the Toyota or should I buy the BMW? Lord Jesus, show me. Here's the question. Can you afford either? Which one's more reliable? Which one will have the better resale value? Which one do you say, I don't care about the resale value, I'll just enjoy it anyway? You see, common sense ain't so common. 
Do you know that in the book of Acts chapter 6, when they were preaching and the widows started complaining, remember they're complaining we're not getting fed, the Grecian widows complained against the Hebrew widows. The disciples didn't say, we need to wait on the Lord. Let's come together, let's pray, let's bind Satan. Let's speak. Let's anoint the windows with oil. No, they didn't do weird stuff. They just said, oh, uh, we, we know that the general will of God is that we preach. So let's find some good guys who we can trust with money and food, who won't steal it and take it home. You, you know people like that. And uh, let's put them in charge. And they did. And the Bible says, and the church continued to grow. Am I making sense? We get like a weirdness, which gets churches in debt, gets them in trouble, gets them split, gets their leaders doing stuff like that, that are way, way beyond. How many of you know people build buildings and they can't finish them? Why? The Lord told me. Well, if he told you, why isn't it finished? We know the Lord told us in his moral will, but then we use common sense as to how many, how fast should we do it? And when will we have the money? And if people keep faithfully tithing, then we can bank on maybe that and we'll trust. That's why you're sitting in this. Oswald Sanders said this, he said, God generally guides us by the exercise of our sanctified judgment. I try to gather all the information and all the facts that are involved in the decision, then weigh them up and pray over them in the Lord's presence and trust the Holy Spirit to sway my mind in the direction of God's will. And God generally guides by presenting reasons to my mind for acting in a certain way. See, a lot of us want to lean on God because we are immature. Are you with me? Some business people, you've got good business people in this church, you need to use your common sense. Wisdom and the moral word of God. Think of it like this, I often use this illustration. When my children were small, they used to go to the toilet by themselves. You know, when you potty train them, and then they go to the toilet by themselves. But what would happen is like when they're five or four or five, they can't wipe themselves. So they go to the toilet and then they used to shout, I'm finished. <laughs> And then you go, okay, let's have a look. All right, okay. Flash. You've got to flash. Wash your hands. How many of you know when they're 18, if they had to go to the toilet and shout, I'm finished, you'd be like, what? <laughs> but some of us are behaving like that when God says, you know what to do. Why do you rejoice in being weird and immature? when you can be mature because you know my word. See, Joyce Meyer says this, if you take too much of a supernatural look at what it means to be led by the Holy Spirit, many times you're going to miss out on what God really wants you to do because in many ways, the way that God speaks to us and deals with us is a lot more normal than what you might think. See, if you want to move to another country, you need to actually explore don't just go, well, they're going to pay me twice the salary. Is there a church? And unplugging your kids from this kid zone here, you think it's just an average place where they're going. And you're going to go there for twice the salary. Your children might not end up serving God. And in three years, they could be in teenagers and they could be drug addicts. You've got to use common sense and you've got to explore and think and reason and ask advice. And then you've got to take a step. See, God doesn't want to make our decisions for us. He wants us to use common sense. Number five, is this okay? A word from God. See, sometimes you read the Bible and you get a verse from God that will jump out. Don't flip through the pages looking for it. Not that. No, not that. No, this one. Oh, yes, Paul went overseas. Yeah, that's the one. No, 
you're just reading in your daily reading, and it's like, bah, you know that you know. There's the word, but then there's a word. Are you with me? And you read that, and the Holy Spirit will illuminate something to you. This happened when we went into the ministry. We weren't sure we should sell our business. And God, can I say, God very seldom speaks in an audible voice. He spoke to Adam. He spoke to Moses. He spoke to Abraham. He spoke to Jesus only three times audibly in his lifetime. So don't listen for an audible voice because you might hear your neighbors arguing. You need to read the Bible and then let a verse jump out at you and then say, I think God is speaking to me. We didn't know if we should sell our business. It was a big thing for us to give up this thriving business that we'd worked hard to build. We left the church. We were part of the church. I was leading worship. I was involved in leadership. Why would I want to go into the ministry that God spoke to us both from the Bible, the book of Habakkuk, because I was renovating my house and I was paneling it in those days. Some of you say, how kitsch. In those days, you paneled your kitchen with pine. Do you remember pine ceilings? It was very cool. So anyone had pine ceilings in their house? Today we would never think of doing it. We had pine ceilings. And I was paneling that and doing some panels on the one wall. And the book of Haggai said, you live in your paneled houses while my house lies in ruin. <laughs> I knew it was God. And Vilma got the same at a different time. And God was speaking to us. Obviously, we were involved in church. Life. I can't go into the whole thing. But you've got to expect a word from God. But it's very rare. It's only happened like once. We didn't get it all the time. We didn't come to Santa and tell those people they should leave. Tell that guy's an elder. No, if only, <laughs> if only, go and prophesy over Mr. Carriolis and say, thou shalt leave, saith the Lord. No, common sense. The moral will of God taught to the congregation. Am I helping you today? I'm being very just open and honest with you, but I want you to be helped. Don't get into weird stuff. And God works in some ways when you read stories of people, but they're quite unusual. Jackie Pullinger was one of those people. In uh, 1966, she felt God calling her to be a missionary. She didn't know how, so she went to a priest. He was a friend of his, and she said, I think God's calling me to be a missionary. He said, where? She said, I don't know. So he said, okay, I'll tell you what you do. Buy a round-the-world boat, ticket, a boat trip. Have you got money? Yeah. She bought a round-the-world boat trip. It went to Africa. It went to the east. It went all over the place. And she got to Cape Town. She, no, I don't think it's here. She got to Nigeria. No, I don't think it's here. She got to India. No, I don't think it's here. When she got to Hong Kong, she's like, I have to get off. I have to get off. She don't have a visa. You don't have a permit to live here. Ah, but I've got, a, I've got a godparent who's here who can speak to the authorities. She ends up in the walled city, the most densely populated place in the world, full of drug addicts. And she starts her ministry there, and thousands are converted, and people's lives are changed. But notice, notice, she spent her money. See, a lot of people tell me, God's called me pastorally, and rivers must support me. No, go buy your own ticket, baby. <laughs> and then when you're sure, then you can phone me or call me or send me a letter, and then I will decide whether this is actually of God. Don't use me to test your call. <laughs> Number six, quickly, mature counsel. If you want to be guided, get mature counsel. Proverbs 24 and verse 6, surely you need guidance to wage war, and victory is won through many advisors. That's why we do have a thing called test your call. You don't give up your job. You feel God's calling you. You come work alongside us. And then we test and you test whether God's really called you. And that way you don't have to lose your job and have your family hate us. And See? And by the way, if you feel called of God, you know how God usually works. He works through your leaders. 
Many people tell me, I'm called. I can speak, you know. They tell me at work, I can speak. Can I remind you that it was Aaron who could speak who built the golden calf? It was Moses who couldn't speak who was called. So speaking is not what it's about, as you can see from me. Are you with me? Don't mistake that gift. Don't put it so high up the list. It might play a part, but it's not quite the thing. And your leaders will speak. Do you remember when Samuel was sleeping? He heard, he heard a voice, Samuel, Samuel. Say, so where'd he go? He went to his leader, Eli. Did you call me? No, go lie down. Three times, eventually Eli says, the Lord is calling you, but it's with the voice of Eli. You want to know if God's called you? It'll come through our voice, but you'll know in your heart he's calling you. Number seven, supernatural guidance. A couple more to go. Quick, write quickly, type quickly. How many being helped this morning? See, supernatural guidance is when you get a voice or an angel or a vision. And uh, we read that in the book of Acts. In fact, here's an interesting thing. Take note of this. The book of Acts spans 30 years. 30 years. Turn to your neighbor and say 30 years. Yet there are only 20 instances of supernatural guidance in 30 years of ministry. But when we read it, it's like today, tomorrow, the next day, I go to work, then I, yeah, then I choose my shoes, then I choose my car, and I'm walking with the Lord. Now you're deluded. It doesn't work like that. No, that's why you end up in confusion and you make bad decisions. The Lord told me to marry him, but he doesn't serve the Lord. It doesn't matter. God's got a much greater purpose. Oh, we know that purpose. We know that purpose. You see, the Lord will guide, and I don't have time this morning to go into this, but you can study passages on your own. Here's what I want you to know. You must be careful that you don't make that which is unusual normative. Bible says in the book of Acts that Paul did unusual miracles. See, they're not normative. Don't make them normative. They were unusual, and we can be immature. People say, well, you know, God can speak in it. God spoke through a donkey. Yeah, but we don't keep donkeys in the garden for that purpose. It only happened once. And pastors often say this. I find it so funny. If God can speak through a donkey, then God can speak through me. I think if you spoke like a donkey week after week, people wouldn't come to church. <laughs> Number eight. I hope this has helped you in some way today. I should have done it over two weeks, but um, next week I'm not here. Pastor Chase is preaching, so don't miss it. He'll be really good. I'll be in Australia. I am speaking at a church there and uh, felt that I needed to go and uh, have been in touch with them, so pray for me while I'm away. But um, number eight, thank you. Number eight, our personal desires played a role in guidance. Did you know that God is not unhappy to do what you want? Hmm? Psalm 37 and verse four, take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart, you see, it's, it's this, this confusion here. If it's not morally wrong, he says, go ahead. You want to live there? God bless you. Can you afford it? Wonderful. Have you saved? Is it going to put undue stress on your family? The bond? Are you going to default and get a bad reputation? No? Buy it. Isn't that wonderful? God delights. You, you see, it's extremely freeing. But we need to be mindful of his grace. That's why in James it says, you who say today and tomorrow we're going to go here and then we're going to shop me. You don't know what God's will is. He's saying don't be arrogant and don't be mindful that God holds your life in his hands. 
but you need to determine what you're going to do. We need to be entrepreneurial. We need to plan. We need to have desires. I'd like to live there. I'd like to do that. I'd like to drive that. I'd like to design that. God says, as long as it's not against my moral will, and unless I've not got a sovereign plan, go ahead. And number nine, you probably thought I wouldn't get you, but I'm here. Our gifts and abilities. God has designed us in a certain way, and we function best when we use our gifts and abilities for his glory. Then you're in his will, if you like. How did God wire you? Are you trying to do something he's not wired you for? Well, then you are not in his will, in a sense, because that's not how you've been designed. Rick Warren, in his book, The Purpose Driven Life, is wonderful. He, he, just one quote here. He says, your abilities are the map to God's will for your life. It points the direction. When you know what you're good at, then you can know what God wants you to do with your life. Isn't that good? We've got, and we've got many gifts and talents. I could do uh, working with leather and designing shoes and manufacturing handbags. I did, handbags. I did that for many years, and I was fairly good at it. Don't say that with pride. We, we had a good, thriving business. But I had other gifts and talents as well. Leadership, speaking, and expounding the Bible. So God uses you as you journey along where your gifts and abilities are best suited. And then he guided us with a word into the next area of gifting we had. Maybe you've got an area of gifting right now, but maybe God's got something else for you. And you can go on. Maybe you're in an area right now and you're frustrated. Maybe it's time to find something that you're better suited to. Here's the ultimate test as I wrap up this morning. Has this helped anyone? You've got to ask yourself when people say they are getting guidance from the Lord and they're in the will of God, is there fruit or failure? It's a simple test. That's the ultimate test, actually. And here's the thing. God is not a God of confusion. He's a God of order. So if there's failure and there's confusion, then it's not of God. But if there's fruit and there's success, then we can know that God is in it. And here's the key thing. You've got to ask yourself this question as a Christian. Do I want to be an immature Christian or a mature Christian? Because mature Christians study the Word and live by the Spirit's prompting in the Word. And then they look to the other things. Whereas immature Christians look for all the feely things and then finally go to the Word and go, oh well. Now we need the word first. Can you say amen? Henry Blackaby, as I close this morning, he says, our difficulty is not that we don't know God's will. Our discomfort comes from the fact that we do know his will, but we do not want to do it. Is that not the truth? See, we need to know God's will, but we need to be willing to do it. And Jesus made an important statement, because I want to pray with you this morning before I close here. He made an important statement in, in, in Mark's gospel, and I'll just quote it to you. His family came to visit him, and people said, your mother and brothers are outside. And Jesus said something interesting. He said, who are my, mothers and who are my mother and brothers? Those that do the will of God are my mothers, my brothers, and my sisters. So in other words, you, you don't just become a Christian and join a church and become part of the family of God unless you do the moral will of God. You can attend, you can be part of it, you can go to Connect Group, you can feel I belong to Rivers Church, but unless you're doing the will of God, moral from the word, you're actually not part of the family of God. Jesus said that. My brothers and sisters are the ones who do the moral will of God. It's a tough one. See, today we base it on church attendance and how you feel and how many people you know. Jesus says, no, do you know me and do you do my will? And if you do my will, then you're part of my family.
We hope you have been blessed and inspired by this message.